Welcome to season two of Gold Camp. If you've been with us since season one, thank you so much. Not only here in the U.S., but all around the globe. It's time now to get after our very best outcomes. It's a new year, a new decade, and nothing's going to be different unless you make dramatic changes. Look forward to more inspirational guests, more insights on goal setting and goal achievement. You know the story. 30 years ago, I was living random. I was frustrated and I started to work towards a methodology and it took 30 years for me to polish and refine the steps it takes to become effective at not only setting goals but achieving goals. Welcome to the campgrounds. This is Goal Camp. I'm so excited to have a special guest. His name is Bilal Marcus. Welcome to the campgrounds. Bilal, how are you? Doing great, Derek. How about yourself? excited to talk to you today and get some insight into a story that I came across that truly impacted me and touched me in such a big way. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself. I'm originally from Florida. I moved up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1994. 2008, I became a single father of three, which I got to finally feel what it's like to be a single mother of three. And it took the wind out of me. I have a lot more respect for women now. And there was two boys and one daughter. Everything was going great. In 2008, I started realizing or finding out what it was to be around gangs. I've never been into a gang myself, but my my kids were getting pulled into it. As a single father, I have to work. I'm not able to sit there with them every minute. You know, we work to make a living and they got into gangs and I didn't know what to really do. So a father does what he does, you know, tries to protect them. Eventually this went on. My son ran away. My oldest, my kids were like 15, 12 and 10 at the time. My oldest son brought his little brother into it, uh, Rashid, who was uh, 12. It got too much. The, the older one ran away. I had to put posters outside to scare him back into the house. August 2nd uh, to make, you know, to kind of get to where, we're headed August 2nd, 2009. I moved about four or five miles south from where we're living, you know, from where all this, this bad stuff was starting to happen. And the next day, um, on August 3rd, 2009, this changed my life forever. And I think my sons and my family in general, because uh, my boys went outside at our new location to ride their bicycles, which they said they were going to. But after a couple hours later, I realized they went back to their old neighborhood. And not having a car at the time, being a single father, trying to protect my daughter. I had a broken foot at that time. It was just a mess. So I had to take the bus. And it was just, uh, this is where the story began. This is how you and I met. Because this is, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, found my son at the library where he usually went and told him to get his brother. I was really upset. And they disappeared. And this was about three hours I was searching for them. Decided to get back on the bus, go back four or five miles to my house. They're not there. So I put a note on the door saying, you know, meet me at the restaurant where we're our favorite restaurant, you know, just trying to waste time because I was getting nervous and it just, something didn't seem right. I get back home. I stop at a friend's house trying to drag the night along. You know, the more time I take, the, the better I feel that maybe they're going to be home. I'm getting nervous. I get home about 11, 15 p.m., 11, 11, 15 p.m. on August 3rd, 2009. And as I'm taking my shoes off upstairs, I hear this noise daddy, daddy, you know, my older son, this is how he always called me daddy. But, you know, I go downstairs and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. This chaos. There's a lady out there that I recognize. He doesn't drive. We get in this car. They say, we got to go to 16th and Greenfield. And they said, your, my brother, our, your son was just hit and run over by some vehicles. And I, 
This wasn't registering. Let's go to 16th and Greenfield. There's like 30 police officers, squad cars, not police officers, but squad cars blocked off. I'm running up there, almost getting arrested. They thought I was some drunk, just starting trouble. They say, I, they figured out who I was and they said, get to the hospital right away. And we get there and I'm sitting there and then uh, detectives come up to me with this sad look on their face like they do in those movies, you know, where they look like somebody had died. Even they pretty much thought he did. And they told me, you know, it doesn't look good. They gave me some tissues. They bring me in this room like you see on TV and you don't, you know, you just feel like you just lost your family member. And I'm sitting in there and then they, they told me what happened a little bit from the information that they had. And then I have to wait a couple more hours. And here comes the, the big, the, the, the guy who's taking care of my son, the surgeon, he comes out there. He says, Mr. Marcus, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're telling me these things, you know, your son lost one kidney, half his liver, broke his pelvis, crushed his lung. And I, I just know this kid is under a hundred pounds. He's a skinny boy. Even until today, he's just a skinny bones. I mean, just bones, you know, and then he told me all this stuff. And I'm like, what is all these things you just told me? I have no idea what they are, but I know they're you know parts of your body. Then he said, he lost 46 pints of blood in surgery. And I'm looking at a water bottle. That's one pint. How can he lose 46 pints of blood? He has 12 in him. And then he explained that it went through him in order to, that's how many people it took to close him up, not save his life because his life was like hanging on. It's uh, 46 pints of blood. This wasn't, see, they were, they were just sewed him up. They, they put him in an induced coma because they didn't know how after 46 pints, that's when it, the bleeding stopped. So they're putting him in induced coma and basically gave me a 5% chance. They said, if he does survive, which I could see in his face that he's not going to survive, he's either going to, he's going to be not recognizable. I'm not going to recognize him. He's going to be like a vegetable. It's like either way it goes, I lost him. But, you know, I, I, after this, I went on the computer and I still have this email somewhere where I just said to family members, emailed them and said, Rashid, this has happened to Rashid. Pray that he survives, and if he doesn't, that he goes to heaven in with no pain. I was worried about the pain he was in because you know, as a father, as a mother, you know, you worry about you don't want your kids in pain, and if you know if they're going to die, your parents are in, a, you know, what I mean, a hospice or something like this. You don't want you you don't want them feeling any pain, you know, much less you don't want to lose them, of course. So I pretty much all I had was prayers. I didn't know much about blood donors because I was never a donor. So donors weren't in my mind, but the surgeon and, you know, praying was all I could do. People were coming from different states that I didn't even know. Someone came from New Jersey to Milwaukee, drove. Someone came from Minnesota, Mississippi, when they found out about the story. And, you know, and I think with the help of a lot of prayers globally, locally, you know, internationally, it helped because six days later, which was August 9th, 5% chance to survive, probably not going to talk again. If you did. Six days later, August 9th, 2009, he opened his eyes. The first thing he says is, I love you, Baba. Baba means father. He, so he recognized me. Yeah. You know, here I am. I'm like, this boy just said, looked at me and said this. And now two days later, he's walking in the hospital and even up downstairs after some time of stretching out and stuff. He's walking August 7th. They want to send him home on August 17th. And I said, no, I'm a single father. I don't know what, what's going on here. Slow down. You know, I'm telling him, I'm, I want him to get better, but I'm not ready to take the responsibility yet. But I realized it was probably costing him like seven to $10,000 a day. So they're trying to push him out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I dragged it out to August 25th and he started back to school September 9th, 2009. You got to believe this is a miraculous turnaround of events given the prognosis that they get. Yeah, I mean, he started right back, you know, a little over a month later after the accident. So it was the 9th of September. 
but I think it was September that he started back physical therapy. Like you said, that the, um, we were talking earlier that they said that he would need at least two and a half years of physical therapy. And after two months, I think it was, I can't remember, two or two and a half months, they said he needed no more. Not that his body was 100%, but he was functioning and he was doing things that usually someone in his condition should not be doing. That's incredible. It's community that gathers around you in the toughest times that supports you. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have three things that I'm thankful for. I mean, the prayers, the best surgeons and blood donors. Once I found out what blood donors are, I started organizing blood drives called Miracle Comeback. You know, MCB is, you know, and it's like, so this is, this is where MCB started, you know, with the idea of helping other people. And my son has donated several times now. We're talking about the son that went through this. He donates blood now. (laughs) to help other people so and one other thing that I, I I forget that happened was when he started back to school like about a year later he was like one of the worst students as far as not like most biggest troublemakers because he was a little bit of a troublemaker you know like when he doesn't understand stuff he would cause a little problem here and there but the worst meaning um didn't understand things then he became like overnight like only student in the school that memorized Shakespeare and it's like where did this come from it's like something that and this is someone I mean I have witnesses that witnessed this but I myself did not this is something that happened at school when he was going to Wisconsin Career Academy on Leighton well you're not at Wisconsin so you're not really familiar with the names of the schools I'm sure but you know little things like that happen and then you know his his condition is better mentally and physically today than before the accident he thinks better the only thing that's wrong with him is that the only thing you he has a scar from his chest to his past his navel you know from all the surgery that's all that was wrong that's all that you know and he didn't have a helmet on you know that was a big concern you know that is fascinating one of the things you said in the story is that he needed 46 pints of blood yes that's 46 people donated Wow. And now that has turned into the miracle comeback and you are doing drives and blood donations. And that's a great connection for us because I've been a blood donor over the years and I've started because of Gold Camp and because of my focus on how we help the community. This year, I'm trying to donate every time my window comes up because I I think it's every six to eight weeks you can donate. Yeah. And, and that's, I saw your picture. I think I saw one of you donate. I said, this is a great guy right here. I got to call him. I can't talk about it without mentioning Gran Torino. I think you would love having this guy on your show, Elvis Tao. Yeah, Elvis Tao is a great guy, but I met him in 2011. He met me and my kids at Denny's. He was really inspired by the story. And he joined my organization until today. Now he's the co-founder of, uh, of MCB. And what's the goal and aim of Miracle Comeback? It started out just saving lives in uh, my city in Milwaukee. And once I met him, I met somebody else who was in Uganda and he joined, which was odd because I never expected, you know, to go from Milwaukee. I thought maybe Milwaukee to Chicago, not Milwaukee over the ocean, but (laughs) he joined. And after that, Nigeria, different countries started joining Indonesia and it just spread out into like 30 countries today. So basically what we're doing is we're organizing blood donations. We're talking about the importance. Some musicians are singing about it, you know, to encourage other people. Because some people won't listen to you unless it's in music. They won't listen to you unless it's in poetry or in movies. You know, you got to be creative. My, my thing today is I got to be very, very creative on how I promote MCB. I don't want to be boring. You know, you ever like, boring. <laughs> Nobody want to listen to you. <laughs> you know, so music, we, 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 we got athletes, professional athletes. We got musicians, some actors who are promoting what we do. 
encouraging people to donate blood. You know, and I, I wrote a book in 2012 called Miracle on Greenfield. It's the story right here. Can you see it? This is the true story page by page as to how it went in, you know, for children in a children friendly, the, the children, you know, today us adults are kind of screwed up. I always tell people we got to the next generation. We got to teach them because we're, right. we're in a whole nother thing. You know, we want to, we want to guide them. That's what these books I hope at least helps them. I wrote it in 2012 and I actually published it uh, what, eight years later, 2020. It, it stayed on my hard drive dust free. I don't know how, but that's another miracle in itself because it, it came out. And we, my, my fiance in the Philippines said, publish it. She learned how to publish it. It took her like six months, but she didn't know anything about publishing. So we got to do it. And then 2021, I published my second book called The Secret Life of Ponji. Now, this is a story inspired by my first book. This is about my youngest son who became known as the MCB superhero. And actually, uh, he has his own superhero outfit, the same one you see here, made in the Philippines. So we made the story how he became a superhero and he had to find out what his superhero power was. I'm not going to tell you, but it's not, it's not about flying. It's not about picking people up. It's very interesting. And I've I'm, I'm decided to make three series on this book, two more after this one, about the Ponji story, you know, for children. And then later on, I might make America on Greenfield too into a bigger book. But I've already wrote six books ahead of this one on different things, of other series of, based on what we're doing. This logo right there, if you see the MCB logo, that's, that's uh, we're adding new stuff, like what we're doing right now, me and you. Whenever it comes out, we'll put it on there. Yeah, but this is, uh, this guy is awesome. Yeah, and some more activities coming in uh, Burundi too, not just with him, but the ambassador is doing some big blood donations coming up. And we have a guy in uh, Togo, Africa, who's known as African Mike Tyson, middleweight, 17 and 0, 17 knockouts, never donated blood before. He's a big blood donor now for us. And he carries a banner of MCB on there, our shirt when he goes to fight. Great guy, great guy, just a... Uh, Rare, very rare to see people, you know, who care like this. You know, I've, I got some UFC uh, people like Big Daddy Gary Goodridge from the UFC. Big guy, you know, who fought, you know, bare knuckle when the 90s were bare knuckle. He, he, he wore my shirt and promoted the book uh, last year. And he wants me to send him this one. He lives in Canada. You know, Bill Superfoot Wallace. Yeah, he, uh, he lives in Florida. He, he, he wore my shirt and the book, and I'm going to send him the new one. He's really busy nowadays. He's old, but still teaching, That's you know. Cool. You've got a lot of connections over in Africa. Is there a big need for blood donor donations in the uh, country of Africa? Yes, there is. The problem is, is uh, trying to get people to do it, especially now, is kind of hard. But we have to be creative. You know, we're trying to get more people to speak. Why? Because a lot of people are afraid, you know, when you go to donate, that they're going to be tested for uh, COVID. And then, you know, be quarantined or whatever. And, you know, people get nervous, you know, because they're not, they're still, you know, with the news wanting to test Africans, you know, it still makes people a little nervous. But we're able to get people to trust us, you know, because the ambassadors, you know, have are good people. And in every those countries that we're located, and they're able to convince people in small groups, you know, sometimes big ones. It just depends. But, you know, we're, everybody's suffering today, you know, no matter what. Me to sell my book is suffering. I have to be creative. So everything we do, we have to be creative, how we discuss things, how we talk. We have to be sensitive. You know, we have to think about people's feelings, too, and how, you know, people have had family members die. But blood is needed everywhere. You know what I mean? What would you do if you went to go, if you needed blood and it wasn't there? Can you imagine that? And it's happened. They've called MCB members to go donate blood, and they're, they're the ones who saved the people's life, or they got there too late and they died. So the thing is, is people, 
it's real. <laughs> it's real. I, you know, I really appreciate the work and the sacrifice that you and your organization uh, have taken on to really encourage people to get out there and donate. What would you tell someone that hasn't donated? How do they get involved? What do they do to, to start and moving in the right direction? I just had a lady who's also an author just asked me, said she wanted to join because she's don't, she never donated, but she's willing to. Um, just go to your nearest blood center. You know, like where I live, we got the blood center of Wisconsin called Verse City. You got the Red Cross. You know, everybody's got their little, their little trucks and little buildings. Go there and find out because there's shortages everywhere. I mean, especially here, they keep emailing me. It's my time to donate. So I'm going to try to go this weekend or next weekend. Just go up there. Find out if you can donate. Some people can't. I went there last time and I couldn't because they said I had uh, my blood pressure. Something was wrong with my blood pressure. I never had problems like that. Maybe a lot of stress. You know, so much was going on. What's going on today is making you stressful. But um, just go get tested. I mean, they'll test you right then and there. You know, go make an appointment. You know, it's not like before. You got to make an appointment. You know, you got to follow a little bit more rules. But it's simple. It's simple. And, you know, you know, as a blood donor. You're absolutely right. There's a little paperwork up front now with COVID and with some other things to do some screening just to make sure that we're passing on good blood. And if you've got a virus or you've got something else going on, it doesn't make sense to donate under those conditions. So I like the screening process. I think it keeps us all safe. But donating, I was surprised the first time it literally took from the moment they stuck that needle in me to um, them un- you know, taking it out. It was about six, seven minutes. I can't stress enough how simple it is and how easy the process is to get out there and donate and make a difference. Yes. And I know many people with MCB, probably 75% of them never donated until they joined us. And an attorney that used to work at, when I used to be a security back in 2008 before the accident was, uh, I kept in touch with them right away. He started donating blood and he hasn't stopped every two months. I think he's a, he donates for the last 11 years. You know, it's 11, 12 years, and it makes me feel good because he messages me once in a while. You know, and it's nice to know that you're able to get those connections and, you know, convince the people because they've seen what my son went through. And they, I, get, I guess that, you know, kind of touched them. But, you know, there's a, there's a song in Gambia that I always like to tell people. It says, uh, well, how did it go? It said, uh, don't, um, the, blood you, you, the blood, you know, you, you know, you donate today might need, be need, it might be needed to use you know, you know, for yourself one day, I don't remember the exact words, but you know, that blood you donate might need, you know, you might need your own blood one day back, you know, and it's stuck in my head too. How can people get connected with your organization? How can people find out more about you? Tell us how we stay connected. Actually on my, I have a long email. I don't know. I, I would say the best thing would be to say my name on Facebook. And then we can get connected. I could give you my phone number that way. If we want want to, you know, we could talk more, which is Bilal, B-I-L-A-L, last name Marcus, M-A-R-K-I-S. And I will give somebody $10 if they find a second Bilal because I've never seen anybody else with that name and that order, Bilal Marcus. (laughs) You'll find me on Facebook. Yeah, like I said, I can give you my email, which is MarcusMCB69 at gmail.com. But I think Bilal Marcus, it might be easier. B-I-L-A-L. And they can also look on the, you know, if you look at the MCB YouTube channel, and if you want my name, you know, it, it, my name will pop up. My face is on there. My little one's on there. My activities are on there. It should be right. easy. One, thank you for sharing that story. 
And two, I was so happy to hear the phenomenal miracle uh, because I know it's often scary when our, our children are injured or hurt. And to hear about this mar uh, miraculous recovery is absolutely amazing. But it also has led to even greater things with MCB. And I thank you for the work you do to uh, encourage people to donate and what you're doing over in Africa and potentially all around the world with this amazing organization. And I appreciate you coming on Gold Camp to talk about it and talk about the joy of giving blood. It's a very rewarding feeling. So set goals, folks, to help yes. others and donating blood is a great way to do it. Bilal, Marcus, any last words, comments you would leave? Um, yeah, comment pretty much is my goal for next year is I'm, I'm really, I feel a real connection to the youth, you know, because of what happened to my son and they're having, they need something. They need somebody to talk to, just like we need somebody. Like I've been listening to Denzel Washington's powerful motivational speeches and it helps me. It helps me become a better person. And I think by, I want to go to the schools and I want to speak to the elementary. I want to speak to the middle school and the high school as much as I can, as much as they allow me to about what happened. Get kids and, you know, they don't have to just join me, but they can donate because it might encourage other people to donate. And I could talk about what my kids were involved, you know, with your gangs. So I have a lot of topics to hit on. Even if, like I always said, if I could save one life, I saved one life. I saved many lives with donated blood, me and my team. I said, if I say one, I did my job. If I could save one kid from the streets, I did good. So I, I have a, I have a lot of home, you know, a lot of things to do, and I, you know, this motivates me and my little one, my six-year-old. I'm writing a book about really loves what we're doing, and that inspires me to do more. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. We will be staying in touch, and folks can find you, Bilal Marcus. Check out the MCB YouTube channel and get out there and donate, folks. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, Bilal said it all. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Gold Camp. All the resources from this episode can be found on my website at DerekCLot.com forward slash Gold Camp. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Derek C. Lott. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share with a friend. Achieving your goals is not something that you can do alone. Find a partner that can keep you accountable. Looking forward to the next episode. Until next time, this is your camp director, Derek C. Lott, signing off.